Heavenly Father, thank you this morning just for your faithfulness. And God, your, your words last forever. God, the word of God is life. That's what, uh, that's what David said, that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So God, I pray, shine the light this morning and help us to just chew on this. Even if each one of us get one different thing, God, that you'd be speaking to us, speaking to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You ready? Let's do this. So uh, a few uh, few months ago, I, I remember I was praying. I said, you know, Lord, I really don't understand love very much. I love to do a message on love. Uh, and I want to do it earlier, but I, I just felt like Jesus kept saying, no, 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 don't. You know, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. Now we get the release. And uh, it's been kind of exciting, but I have to admit it's been very convicting because sometimes the more you study something, the more you realize how deficient you were in it. And so this is going to be just as convicting uh, for me as it is for you. But uh, one of the things that I, I, I remember a long time ago when I was living up in Washington, uh, down in, in a town called Puyallup, uh, they used to have a <laughs> Puyallup, that's the name of the town, they used to have a, a passion play around Easter. And so I was in college. I was very young. We went down with some friends, and we were watching the play, and it was the part where Jesus was carrying the cross, you know, up to where they were going to set it in in the middle of the stage there, and, and he eventually did hang on it. But as he was carrying the cross, there was a heckler in the crowd, and the heckler got quite loud uh, to the point where, you know, you heard Jesus saying, shh, please be quiet. You know, he's carrying the cross. You know, shh, please be quiet. So finally, at one point, Jesus hands the cross to one of the other actors, goes down into the audience, and begins to correct this heckler. Uh, the heckler gets up and pushes Jesus, and Jesus just clocks him right, you know, gives him a good right hook. And I remember when I was watching the play thinking, yeah. This is my kind of Jesus. This is, you know, I can get in. You know, I'm liking this, you know. We should rewrite the story to have that, you know. And, uh, and of course, the the next night, uh, I didn't go, but it was reported that the same heckler was there. And uh, and when he was heckling Jesus carrying the cross up, Jesus just kind of stopped for a moment, looked at him and said, I'll see you after the resurrection. <laughs> Whoa. But okay, let me just say that's not what we're supposed to do. Okay? That's that's not, you know, the downside of maturity is we just can't do that. In fact, if you look in the Bible at John chapter 13 verse 35, Jesus says, "They will know that you are followers of Jesus. They will know that you are my followers." Not by your achievements, not by your attributes, not by your Colgate smile, not by how well you're dressed, what kind of car you drive, not by your ability to be a great warrior warrior, or any of those things. Jesus says, they will know you are my followers by your love for one another. And I don't have time to go through all the early history of the church, but for the first 300 years of church, the Roman Empire and the Greeks were so impressed by the love 
that Christians showed to each other and to the world that within three centuries it conquered an empire, not by the sword, but by love. More than beauty, more than strength, more than power or achievement, love is the most powerful thing in the world. It's something that cannot be taken away. It's something that cannot be bought. And it is something that cannot be forced. And it is the thing that makes us most like God. One of the best books I ever read in seminary was what it meant to be made in the image of God. And the author's main point was this. To be made in the image of God was to be made to be able to receive God's love and express God's love, which is, which is something that only human beings can uniquely do. And so this morning, we're going to be talking a little bit about love because the fact of the matter is, for some of us, Love can be so powerful that we can fear it or run away from it because it has such a power. One time uh, back in the other church I was serving, uh, I was called in to help uh, one of our pastors. Pastor Craig, he came here a few years ago and spoke. And uh, we had a situation because uh, there was an older couple in the church that wanted to get married. And uh, they were both above in their 50s, uh, I think. Uh, They might have both been divorced. I couldn't remember the exact circumstance. But what I do remember was the whole church thinking, this is great. She's a great woman. He's a great man, a good provider, very nice, strong in his faith, serving the church all the time, you know, and and just a great guy, friendly, laughs all the time. She's friendly, laughs. We were just thinking, man, this is truly a match made in heaven. And and of course, they they got engaged and and they were going to get married. And all of a sudden, she calls it off. And so I come into this meeting because she wants to talk to Pastor Craig about everything. And, and uh, we sat down and, and we, we started talking to her and she said, you know, she said, the fact of the matter is, I just don't want to fall in love again. She said, the stakes are too high. And I remember just being like dumbfounded. This is a great guy. This is probably the best guy for you. One of the best guys in the, I mean, if there's anybody to be afraid of, and there are men to be afraid of, yes, not this one. But it wasn't him she was afraid of. It was the power of love because she had experienced betrayal. She had experienced being wounded. She had experienced being hurt. And one of the things Craig said, I never forgot, he, he said to her, you know what the problem is? Human beings are inconsistent. We're inconsistent. We love one day, Maybe we don't love so much the next. Maybe we love a little more the next day. We don't love at all the day after that. Human beings are inconsistent because we have moodiness, we have emotions, we have feelings, we can get tired, we can get hungry, we can get grumpy, we can get all those things so that our love just begins to fluctuate and you're not sure if you can count on it. And that's what she was trying to say. Maybe he loves me now, but maybe he won't love me next year. And so what happens is when we get in that scenario, what do we try to do? We try to control love. We get very control freakish in our relationships because we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to get betrayed. We don't want to have to go through any suffering as a result of the relationship. We don't want to give all this love out and then have it come back to us in the form of hurt and pain. So then we try to control it. 
We try to make sure that, that the love and the relationship goes within the parameters that we're comfortable with. But being controlling in a relationship is not very loving. And I can tell you from experience and meeting with couples, the person who is controlled feels very unloved. They show their love by staying in that relationship and honoring the commitment, but they don't often feel very loved or appreciated. And most, other, most often, it's because the other person is equally afraid to get hurt, and so we go into control freak mode. And I've seen it more often, more and more and more and more. But one thing I would like to say is this. It's not really love. That's human beings' best attempts at love, whether it's in a romantic relationship or platonic relationship or whatever kind of relationship. But the fact of the matter is, God's love is consistent. God's love never shifts or changes. When we are feeling unloved by God, that's because that's us, not God. God's love is as faithful and dependent as the sun coming up in the morning. Very few of us ever go to bed thinking, you know what? When I wake up tomorrow, there will be no sun. We just take it for granted. When we wake up tomorrow, there will be a sun. God wants us to take his love as for granted as when we wake up that there's going to be a sun. So we get to the kind of the all-important question. If what we've done is kind of counterfeit, broken, and taken love out of, in our control, what is love? What really is love? And of course, the Bible throws out a whole bunch of words. Eros, which is the, uh, the, 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 the sensual, passionate love. Uh, uh, phileo, which is brotherly love. Storge, which is a love that a servant would have for their master. Very conditional love. And then the New Testament, uh, it really introduces this word to the world, which is agape love, an unconditional, self-giving love that is constantly looking to the interests of others. It's a love that reaches out to a person with no strings attached. It's a love that sacrifices itself on behalf of the one loved without expecting anything in return. It is not a love where I give 50 and you give 50 back. It's a love where I give 100% all of me no matter what you give back. That is love. That is agape. That is the love that God describes in the Bible. And many of you may be thinking, you know what? That is not a love that comes natural to people, and it's not. We will never truly understand love apart from God. And if you look at the progression in the scriptures, it says here in 1 John 4, 19, that God the Father shows us, first demonstrates his love by sending Jesus to us. And then in John 13, Jesus demonstrates his love by dying on the cross for us, right? By totally giving 100% of himself without asking for anything in return. Jesus does not force one person to follow him. If you want to love him for what he did for you, you can. 
if you want to reject him and disbelieve in him, and you can. That's the beauty of God's love. It preserves all of our free will to choose whether we want to or not want to. And then finally, in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says this, that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on our hearts so that we may love one another. So God sends Jesus, Jesus dies on the cross, and from Jesus we get the Holy Spirit. God sends Jesus, Jesus dies on the cross, and then Jesus sends the Holy Spirit so that we may love one another. Now I've talked to a lot of people, and a lot of times they'll say, Tom, I know all this is great, this is Sunday school stuff, but I still struggle with loving people. In the heat of the moment when they make me mad, I just want to get even. When somebody torques me off, I just want to see justice. But I know deep in my heart, if I get mad, then they get mad, then they get mad, then it just leads to chaos, you know, because now we're just kind of one-upping each other in the fight for the rest of our lives. So I understand it is God's love that works. I just don't know how to get it. And Paul gives us the answer in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It's the Holy Spirit being poured on in our hearts that helps us to love one another. A lot of times when you're struggling with loving somebody, it's because there's a disconnect between receiving God's love between you and God. When you receive God's love in your heart, what happens is God's love begins to push out our control freak love that tries to guard against hurt and pain and floods in that agape love that says, I don't care what you do to me. I'm so filled with God's love. It doesn't matter as long as he always loves me and he always will. I can go the rest of this life on earth with a smile on my face and joy on my heart because that love is more powerful than any broken human love could ever be. Amen? That's the love that we're talking about. And so my simple definition, and this is the one that works for me, this is the one I think of whenever I want to punch somebody, is doing the good that God does with the heart with which he does it. And that is exactly what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians 13 when he says there's a lot of good things we can do, but if we don't have God's heart of love behind it, we're nothing. We're nothing. And so if you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, my first point is this. Without love, words are just noise. Without love, words are just noise. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. Think about who you may think is the greatest communicator in the world. And I've studied communicators. It's what I do with my life. So I I look, I YouTube all the great speeches. I try to find all the great orators. and, And if they're dead and they are never recorded, I read their speeches and try to hear their voice in my head. And some are magnificent. But they're not filled with love. Sometimes you can just tell. Sometimes you can just see it. They're saying lots of good things, and they're saying it in a great way. But love 
is not behind it. And what Paul is saying is, I could speak in the tongues of men and angels, but if I have not love, I'm like a clanging symbol. You know, uh, one time I, I was, the first time I ever went to a Pentecostal church, I had just come from a Baptist church, and a friend invited me to a Pentecostal church. We go into, we have what's called pre-service prayer. I'd never experienced that. So I'm like, I want to go into pre-service prayer. Well, we go into pre-service prayer, and everybody's just kind of quiet, and I think they're kind of like humming. I um, was like, you know, almost Hindu for a second. You know, um, yeah. They're all kind of rocking and humming, and I thought, okay, this must be what Pentecostals do. And then a couple of people started to pray, you know, God, we just lift up the service, we lift up Pastor Bob, we lift, you know, just going on. And all of a sudden, this guy out of nowhere starts speaking in tongues very loudly. Freaked me out. But I was like, okay, this is what the, I, the whole time I'm going, this is what they do, this is what they do. You know, I'm trying to, trying to you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? You know, and, 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 and all of a sudden, this other person's trying to speak, and this, this guy does not stop. And he's loud, and he's, and he's, I don't know, he's doing weird things. He's like chopping things, and you know, but I don't know what he's saying, but this other girl's trying to pray. And I remember the, the missions pastor was leading the pre-service prayer, I remember him just kind of giving the stink eye to this guy who was praying loudly in his prayer language. And so, you know, afterward, you know, I would kind of stuck around because I, I wanted to talk to him about it, and then so did the other pastor. So it was the three of us, and he started saying, you know, uh, next time, you know, could you maybe pray under your breath, da-da-da. And the guy looks at him and says, you know what, well, you're not spiritual. If you wanted revival, you'd get everybody praying in the spirit. We'd be shouting from the rock. We'd be lifting the roofs. And the pastor just looked at him and said, that wasn't spiritual, that was rude. This lady was trying to speak, and you were speaking over her. I don't care what language you were speaking. You were speaking over her while she was trying to pray something from her heart over the church service. What you did was rude. Well, he starts going on and on and again. So the mission pastor, he starts praying in the spirit over the guy. I'm thinking, oh, man. Pentecostals fighting tongues. I don't want to, I don't know, man. This is, this might be a, that's what they were warning me about, you know. And, and so, you know, finally I, 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 you know, was able to witness the whole thing. Another person came and, and, and they, you know, they can, you know, you guys are both being wrong, you know. Uh, this is about trying to have a heart of love for the, our community, for the people who are coming to church. It's not about the words or the prayer. And whenever I read that verse, I always remember being thankful to have that memory in my mind because we can become like clanging symbols. You know why Paul used that, by the way? In ancient Greece, well, okay, in, in the Greece of Paul's day, they were all worshiping pagan gods, many gods, you know, uh, Asclepius, Dionysius. I, I had to read and do reports on, on many of them. And, and so, and the way, that, here's their understanding they thought their gods were always asleep. That's how they lived forever. They, they'd sleep for five, six years and then wake up for a few minutes. Sleeps more. You know, so they always thought their gods were sleeping. So when they went to worship, they would hit symbols and bang these things really loud to try to wake their gods up. Paul's saying, we're like, we're like that. When our, words, when, when our words, no matter how faith-filled they are, are not followed with a heart of love, 
It's like banging those cymbals, trying to wake up a God that doesn't even exist up and have them do something. And so that's, that's a little, I don't know if you ever knew that, but that's a little tidbit of why he used that particular uh, thing. So how do we speak lovingly? If you go to Ephesians chapter 4, chapter 4, I love what Paul says. He says here, beginning in verse 13, I think it'll be up here, yeah. He says, until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. He said in verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. That one sentence saved my marriage many years ago. Speaking the truth in love. Does no good to lie. Does no good to repress. Does no good to hide. The truth does good, but it only does good when it's spoken in love. Amen? So my action point this morning is simply, if you can't say it in love, then wait until you can. If you can't say what you want to say or what you need to say, first of all, maybe it shouldn't be said. We probably say a lot of things that would have best left been left just as a thought in our mind. But until you can say it in love, don't say it. It's best for it to not be said. Wait until you get to that point. Point number two, faith without love is deception. He says uh, in verse two, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. I have, I'm sorry, I skipped to point number three. Let's go back to point number two. Knowledge without love is pointless. Uh, it's actually the same verse. Uh, if I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and knowledge. If I have faith that can move a mountains but have not love, I am nothing. One time in university, I, they had this neat thing, a debate between an atheist and one of our professors. And I had taken this professor. I thought, man, that takes guts to go in front of the school you teach at and debate an atheist. But in Seattle, these things are like football games. You know, they, they have all these kinds of debates, you know, vegans and people who eat meat, you know, and they're fun. And they have judges that score you. Uh, so it's like, it really is like a competition. And I remember our professor was debating this guy. And a lot of the things the atheist said, I thought, man, there's great comebacks for that. I'm, you know, but our professor wasn't, wasn't arguing with him a lot, you know, and I'm like, man, he's going to lose it. He's going to blow it all. He's better than this. I know he's better than this. Why isn't he saying anything? And finally at the end, he said, you know what? He said, here's the thing. The facts are the facts. It's just how we choose to interpret them. You interpret all these things as there is no God. I interpret all of these things as this is how God did it. He said, but forget about that for a moment. The world in which you profess is a cold, dark, purposeless world that has no meaning or no need for love. 
It's just atoms and molecules trying to survive another day. The world I believe in is a world full of purpose and meaning and God's love. The whole auditorium was as silent as you were just now. I mean, it was just such an amazing moment. I remember it with awe. And I remember thinking, you know what? You can be as smart and as smart as as smart can be. But without love, all that knowledge is cold, dark, and purposelessness. You know, remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Who did Jesus choose as the people who walked by him? It was the priest and the Levite, right? The priest and the Levite, these were men of knowledge. They had knowledge about the Bible. They had knowledge about history. They had knowledge about science. They had knowledge about civics and government, politics. They had knowledge. 95% of Israel could not have competed with these two men about knowledge. They had a whole bunch of knowledge, but when they saw the beaten and broken man on the side of the road, you know what they did? They walked right on by. Why? They had a lot of knowledge, but no love. And then the Samaritan, the hated man, the man who had to endure all the racial slurs from the Jews. He may have not had a lot of knowledge, but he had love. And Jesus said that was the man who won the day. Amazing when you think of it. One time when I was a youth pastor, I remember a mother and a daughter coming in. And the daughter was in a lot of pain. It was quite obvious. She was getting bullied at school. Uh, people were calling her, you know, names and things like that. And I remember just really feeling for this girl until I met the real problem, which was her mother. Every time the girl shared something, you know, oh, I got bullied at school, the mother would chime in, well, when I was a kid, man, I got bullied 10 times as much as her. Well, you know, when they're calling me names, oh, you should have heard the names they called me when I was your age. And I remember just thinking to myself, you need to stop talking now. After five more minutes of it, I dismissed her. I said, you're part of the problem right now. You need to leave this room. You may have all of this knowledge, but when someone is going through pain, they don't want knowledge, they want love. When you're going through a hard time, you instinctually avoid the know-it-alls, don't you? Because they're just going to describe to you how you shouldn't really be feeling that way and you should be blessed to live in America because we're the most affluent country on earth. But pain is pain. I know people who'd give all the money they have to just have a day without pain and to feel loved. My action point for this one is know-it-alls rarely come off loving. And if you struggle with that, let this morning be a turning point. Don't be like that mom who was always saying, I had it worse than you. You know what? We are not qualified to judge what other people go through. We're not that smart. We're not that intuitive. How I endure something may be a lot different than how you endure the same thing. Point number three. Faith without love is deception. 
Uh, I won't read the verse again. It's there. One time, uh, again, when I was in seminary, a lot, a lot of my seminary stories are coming out, but I, I, they, they, they just hit me when I'm doing my message. And we were, it was my first year there, and I remember feeling it was a great year for our church. We had some dramatic healings, uh, some, uh, someone from cancer healed. I, I remember just feeling like, man, I, I belong to the most powerful church on earth, you know? And, and I'd go to seminary, and I would talk up the church all the time. And we were standing around one day, and, and we were talking about what kind of church you'd want to go to. And one guy was saying, well, I'd like to go to a church that has an organ. That was very important to him. And another guy said, you know, I'd like to go to a church that's less than an hour. That was very important to him. And and I was like, well, I, I want to go to a church where there's a bunch of miracles happening. You know, that's the, that's, that's the church I want to be a part of. And, and the professor was just kind of smiling and laughing. And, and we were on our way out, and one of the kids turned around, one of the students turned around and said, you know, so which one would you want to go to? And he said, well, getting it out in an hour is sometimes good when you're busy. I like organs. And you can't, you can't, can't say miracles aren't fun. He said, but honestly... I would trade all of that to go to a church that's just loving and loves me and loves my family and loves each other. That, for me, is probably the greatest miracle because it means the Holy Spirit is flowing from person to person to person to person to person. I had never felt more put in my place in my whole life. I mean, just walking out like, did I really just brag about the healing when obviously bragging about the love would have far more honored the church and the Lord. And so, you know, Paul is, he's really getting at something here. It's possible to have great faith and still be cold-hearted. It's possible to have great faith. And I've met some of these people. Some of these people who have amazing faith from all over Christian tradition, not just Pentecostal, all over Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic, people who've had great faith. And yet there's a coldness and an insensitivity that is quite obvious. I might want them to pray for me. I don't know if I'd want to hang out with them on Friday night. And the fact of the matter is it's because you can have great faith and still be cold-hearted. Let that be a warning to us. And finally, generosity without love is bankruptcy. He says in verse three, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. What's interesting is I, sometimes at night when I'm going to sleep, but I'm not quite sleepy, so you're just alone with your thoughts, right? I'm not the only one who doesn't just fall asleep when my head hits the pillow. Sometimes I think about things. I dream about things. And every now and then I have this recurring dream where somewhere along the course of my life, I guess maybe I think of winning the lottery a little bit, but we'll just forget that that's gambling for a moment. But I just imagine that I get like a whole bunch of money at once, like a million dollars. And I think, man what I would love to do with a million dollars, some ministry projects I would love to finance, you know, some, some things overseas and missions I would love to give to and be a part of. I, I think of all of these things. And then Paul reminds me. He says, 
If I give all I possess to the poor, surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. And I always have to be reminded, you know, the love comes first. If I minister in love first, that's more important than if I give away a million dollars. Love is greater than money. That's what Paul's saying. Love is greater than money. Love is greater than faith. Love is greater than master's and doctor's degrees. And love is greater than words. It is above all. Without love, I say nothing. Without love, I am nothing. Without love, I have nothing. And without love, I gain nothing. Close with a story real quick. Uh, There was a missionary to India. It's my favorite missionary story because he's one of the few missionaries I met. His name was Doug Nichols. Maybe you know the story. He went to India, prepared to be a missionary lifelong there. Within three weeks, he contracted tuberculosis and he would be dead within two years. They said he was, I'm sorry, they said he was going to be dead within two years. And they put him in a sanitarium in India. While he was there, they put a man next to him who had some ailment he didn't know. He had brought all of his tracts and all of his Bibles, and he was going to hand them out to everybody. But they all said no. They're in India, and they said, no, we don't want it. And so he had this box full of all this missionary stuff, and nobody would take it. Well, in the middle of the night, the old man was crying. And he thought, that's odd, but he couldn't say anything, and so he just went back to sleep. He woke up the next day and realized that the old man was crying because he had to go to the bathroom, and so he just did it all over his bed. The nurses had to come in, clean him up, clean up the bed, and they slapped him several times when they came in to do it. Then when they were out, when they were doing the wheelchair thing, all of the other patients were making fun of the old man, and he found out later they were saying, can you just die so that we don't have to smell your stink anymore? So the next night came, and he's woke, waking up by the man crying. And so he gets up out of bed, and he's coughing severely. He has tuberculosis. But he's a big man, big Brit, and he picks up the guy. He takes him to the bathroom, and then he holds him there while the man does all his business in the bathroom. He holds him up, and then he helps him clean up. He carries him back to his bed, and then he goes back to bed, and he goes over to sleep. The next morning, he's awakened to find all the nurses at his bed. And they said to him in English, the people in the hospital heard about what you did. And they would like to know, they'd like to have some of the booklets that you brought. And so he gave away all three or four boxes that he had to all the people. Why? Not because he was smart. Not because he could speak to them. He didn't know their language. They didn't know his. Not because he had all this money. Because he loved that man. And love opened the door for God's power to sweep through that hospital. Bow your heads. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, may we just... God, 
love is not easy. It has a cost. Jesus came down and loved us, and it got him crucified. <laughs> Lord, we may love, and we may end up getting crucified. But God, the fact of the matter is, is we often feel like we're probably more loving than we actually are. And that's because we operate in our own broken love rather than the pure, holy, powerful love of God flowing through us. Romans 5.5 says, when you receive the Holy Spirit, God's love flows into us and then moves out from us. And so this morning, God, I pray that we would have a fresh influx of the Holy Spirit. A fresh pouring of the Spirit of God upon us. A fresh desire to set aside our control freakish ways and put on agape love. Unconditional, self-given, powered by the Holy Spirit. May we love and serve you in that way. For you love us.